Today's, uh, and good Chodesh. Uh, so, appropriately, look at that. Amos Chodesh, we're learning about Kiddush HaChodesh. Um, today's daf is Chafbet. We pick up, though, in the Mishnah on Chafalos Amos Bet. And we are going to continue, both at the end of this talk and the beginning of the next, dealing with these issues about Kiddush HaChodesh. It's going to be interesting um, that the whole, we have a whole break of a parak, but the conversation will just continue straight. Okay, so that's coming up, but let's pick up where we left off on Chafalos Amos Bet. So we have learned that you um, can even violate Shabbat in order to come and testify about the new moon, not in order to send out the messengers that you would not violate Shabbat, but in order for the witnesses to come so you could, te- so you could sanctify it in its right time based on the witnesses that you would violate Shabbat. Um, and particularly for, uh, for Tishrei and, Chet- and uh, Nisan, which the Yom Tovim were dependent on, except in time of days. I think that you would do it for all the, um, all the Rosh Hashim, but afterwards only for Nisan and Tishrei. This Mishnah says, whether the new month was seen be'alio, which we'll see in the Gemara means clearly, or whether it was not seen clearly, mechalin alavat Shabbat. The witnesses can come, because you might think, look, it was a beautiful new moon, a clear night, Everybody saw it. Why should I be entitled to violate Shabbat, to go to the Beis HaMikdash to testify if I am sure that there are people that live closer that saw it and won't have to violate Shabbat? So it shouldn't give me license to go and test, uh, to go and violate Shabbat? No. Everybody should come. Anybody who's seen it, you violate Shabbat to come. And to come. You never know what's going to happen and maybe everybody else for some reason will be invalid and you'll be the only one that's who's t- on whose testimony it will rely. means you should Yes. Yeah, that's true. It doesn't mean you may. It means that you should. Meaning, well, you shouldn't go out of your way to be Mechal no, Shabbat, no, but, no, right. It on the way. Exactly. No, but it means, right. Meaning, that that's true. Implicit in this is, for giving you license to be Mechal Shabbat, it's not like, if you feel like going up to testify for Kedah Shachodesh. Yeah, no. It means you you have to go if you've seen it. Of course, you do wonder what happens in those cases. Like, really? Like, let's say... Everybody saw it, right? So forget Chilu Shabbat. Like, a hundred thousand people are supposed to come and testify? Like, I don't really get that exactly. All right, anyway, um, Rabbi Yossi Omer, Rabbi Yossi says, No, if it was seen clearly, then you do not violate Shabbat. Definitely there'll be somebody else around to come and testify. There's a time when more than 40 people, um, um, you know, passed through, you know, that they came to testify. Testify the Ikvam Rabbi Akiva below, and Rabbi Akiva held them up, held them up at the airport, okay? <laughs> um, and he basically did not let them go um, from Lod to Yerushalayim to testify. Um, why? Uh, because he said, "Look, as so many people have seen it, we don't need all you guys. Other people will go and they'll testify, and you don't need to violate Shabbat." Now, by the way, how far is Lod from Yerushalayim? It is not close, right? What? Yeah, by horse, it's not close, right? Have, right, what is it, 40 miles or something? So I don't get it. How are they getting there on Shabbat and going to be able to testify, you know, with, before the day is over, which is when you need them to testify? By horse? By horse? Can you get it? I mean, when did they come? They didn't come presumably the night. Did they come in the middle of the night? Uh, I don't know. So I don't get it exactly. Now maybe when when the base, when maybe when they did the Kiddush Hakodesh in Yavne, where's Yavne? Exactly. It's right in the middle of the country. Further. Further from Lod? Further. A little bit further. Uh-huh. Far from Lod. Right. It's a little bit. It's a little bit uh, west towards the Mediterranean. What Yavne from Lod? Yeah. 
That's what I'm asking. Is if if is is Yavne closer to Lod? Yes. 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 So then that probably makes sense because Rabbi Akiva is post Korban Abayim. Rabbi Akiva is when the center is in, is in Yavne. So that makes sense. So that makes sense. That but they're going on their way to Yavne. And yeah. we saw the moon contest. I, for some reason, all these years thought that the, the Adim were like designated. No, they weren't designated. We'll see in a minute about they have to basically have to know who they are because they might be sectarians who are trying to manipulate the calendar, but they do not have to be designated. We'll get that. That's coming up. That's coming up. Okay, but that makes sense that they're on their way to Yavne. Okay, Shalachor Rebbe Gamliel. So Rebbe Gamliel sent him, If you basically prevent the masses from coming, maybe specifically masses, there are so many, next year you're going to cause them to stumble. Because next year you'll say, why should I schlep? Last year I went the whole way, and I even violated Shabbat, and then they told me not to do the rest of the way. So, you know, it was a schlep, and it caused me to do Shabbos, forget it, I'm not going to do it. So no, you have to go ahead and let them do it. Which, by the way, is interesting, the way in which sort of policy considerations, or I should say sort of macro issues, um, warrant a violation of Shabbat. Meaning, are we necessarily saying that right now your coming is necessary for Kiddush HaChodesh and therefore can override Shabbat? Presumably no. Presumably we're not debating it. I mean, you could say it that way. Maybe I'll need you. Maybe everybody else won't work out. But that wasn't what Rebbe Leal said. Rebbe Leal said, long term, big picture, it's necessary to have this policy in place in order to ensure that we will do Kiddush HaChodesh Bizmano. Because without this type of an institution of letting everybody come or whatever, it will just sort of, you know, it will just prevent it from happening. So that means the Chil Shabbat is warranted, not necessarily because of this this micro case in front of us, but because of the more like macro consideration, you know, it gets to these whole questions about about hiti was so from mishum chilasan, right? That which is like you know the drivers, uh, people driving back home, doctors after they go to the hospital on Shabbat, where they, the driving back home certainly has nothing to do with saving a life. Now there's a big debate about that. When the Gemara had that in Beit, it was about the Rabbanans, not about the Oraisas, you know, to allow something after the fact and so on. But nevertheless, it's interesting that you know, that it seems to be here certain, like I said, sort of macro policy considerations saying because of the bigger picture of in order to get this done, Bismano, we should be, you know, it should allow Shabbos to be overwritten right yeah, here. That's like having every couple sign a prenuptial agreement. There not you go. because I'm concerned <laughs> with them, but because we want to eat right. the policy. Right, right. Well, there are always issues for policy issues. My question is the policy trans- translating into allowing Shabbat to be overwritten. Okay, so now the Gemara says like this, my mashma the high aliyah where do you get this idea that the word aliyah is lishnat miglihu, a language of being revealed, like it's clear to everyone? Amr Rabbi Yavom across says the verse, Imrot Hashem Imrot Tehorot, Kesef Tsaruf Ba'aliyah, La'aretz Mizukak Shivatayim. The words of God, the, the utterances of God are pure utterances, like, uh, like purified silver, Ba'aliyah. Now, Ba'aliyah La'aretz. Now, I must tell you, that in at least the English translation I looked at yesterday, Ba'aliya La'aretz was translated as as a crucible, as an earthenware crucible. Crucible. Crucible, thank you. As an earthenware crucible. So Aliyah is the thing in which you are being mitzareth, the thing in which you are smelting the silver, which makes sense in the context. But somehow the Gemara understands the words Ba'aliyah, like it's pure, God's utterances are pure, like, you know, like, 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 uh, like, uh, like uh, like um, smelted silver, the um, alil like looked at clearly, or somehow in its purity. Somehow they're reading the word baalil here as purity, or with, you know clearly. And then I don't know what they do with the word laaret. 
you know, on the, so I'm not sure how, according to that, read the word, what La'aretz is doing there. Mizukach Shivatayim, um, you know, refined seven times. Um, so anyway, it means pure, refined, clear, that's what the word Ba'aliyo means. So that's how we get that idea. I think that's even in, in modern Hebrew, right? Nira Ba'aliyo? No? Yeah. Yes. Right. All right. So Rav and Shmuel. So a debate of Rav and Shmuel. Chadamar one says, Nun binani There are 50 levels or gates of wisdom created in the world. V'kula Moshe. And Moshe had all of them. Chaser achas, minus one. He had 49. Okay, famous Midrash. Shenemar v'tachzereu me'at melohim. You have, you have, you have not taken down, you know, a little bit from the level of God. He only had 49 levels. A little bit he was below the divine. Now, what does that have to do with anything? It has to do with the fact that the Pesach says, Imrod Hashem, Mizukak Shivatayim. And Shivatayim meaning seven sevens. Very appropriate for Shua's coming up. So seven sevens is 49. So therefore, Moshe achieved the Shivatayim, the 49 levels that were achievable um, by human beings. Um, okay. Now, based on that, so what's the debate of Rav and Shmuel? So the debate of Rav and Shmuel is not the first line, but it's then how that ties into the second part of the discussion. So um, so uh, Kohelis desire to, destru- to find words of desire or matters of desire, the matters of his desire, let's see what that means. Bikesh um, Kohelis Kohelis desired um, Leos to Moshe to be like Moshe right he wanted to have that same level of wisdom and Moshe and Kohelis were supposed to be the wisest of all men so Yeltz the Bosk of Amalo so a heavenly voice came out and said to him Ksov Yosher Divrei Emet okay which is um, the end of the Pasuk so wait where's Ksov Yosher Divrei Emet is that the end of the Pasuk what so Bikesh Kohelis so Divrei Chesed right right yes the end of that pasuk Bikesh Kohelis so Divrei Chesed what yes so, yeah so anyway and it's and it's written it, what is written sort of proper the words of truth what does that mean um, the, the, so what's the Divrei Emet what's written sort of straight away in the words of truth that's in the Torah and what does it say in the Torah Velokam Navi Yobi Yisrael Kemoshe so you sorry buddy you can't be like Moshe you want to leave so Divrei Chesed look at the Torah you can't be like Moshe. So that's what one of them says. Moshe had the 49 levels, not Kohelas. Chavam, the other one says, No, 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 that wouldn't have been a problem. It says, Lokam Navio would be Israel. There's no Navi. Nobody who reached the level of Moshe's Nevuah. With kings to could. Now, it could just mean, oh, technically he wasn't a Navi, so he was excluded from this rule. But I think it could also mean that nobody reached Moshe's level of Nevuah. It doesn't mean that nobody could reach Moshe's level of wisdom. So actually, so that, so that wasn't, or leadership, but here the point is wisdom. So that was the problem. Ella, so, so he was entitled. So he had the 49 levels of wisdom. So not only Moshe, even Koelis. So Elamani Mikayim became crossing so divrei chesed. So what do I do with this sense that he wanted, but then the end of the puzzle seems to say it wasn't given to him? Bikesh Kohelis li don dinim shebeleiv shalobeinim v'shalobehasra Kohelis because he was so wise and he could understand people's deepest motivations and thoughts. He wanted to uh, run his court based on his perception of what people's motivations and inner thoughts were, without external evidence, without without testimony, without witnesses. I'll figure it all out. So Yastabaskov Amrilo, so Heavenly Voice came out and said, Yosha Divayamet, you have to look at the at the proper words written in the words of truth in the Torah, Apishnaim Edim Yakum Davar. Okay, which is interesting, which means you might be very wise.
wise, but that doesn't mean that we can run our world based on your insights. Okay, the world and the court system still have to be run based on objectively ascertainable facts. Um, so, uh, interesting little um, sort of, you know, issue going on there about where to draw the limits in terms of his own ability of intellectual achievement or in terms of trying to apply, you know, sort of like the story with Rebbe Mayer, that Rebbe Mayer, you know, we didn't pass him like Rebbe Mayer because he was so smart, but nobody could figure out what he was talking about. He was too smart for the rest of us. <laughs> so it's all very nice, you're so brilliant, but that's not going to impact how we as mere mortals are going to run our, like, legal system in our world. Okay, anyway, that was a bit of a digression. Moving on. So, so Rabbi Akiva held up over 40 pairs of witnesses in load. So, Tanya was on a bright side. Rabbi Yehuda, it would never have occurred to Rabbi Akiva to hold them. He understood the idea that you violate Shabbat, and he would never have said, oh, there are too many. Ella Shazfar Roshishel Gader Ikvan, this other person. Shazfar, the head of the Gader. I don't know where Gader Where's Gader? It's Gader. There, it's, it's, it's close to what's called Gidei Ra today. Is that close to load? It's near the coast. It's closer to the coast. Okay. Alone. Got it. Rabbi Gamliel sort of got this guy deposed from his uh, political post because of, this, uh, because, because of this activity. Quite interesting, quite different story than, than just being Rabbi Akiva. Now, another interesting question, which is not explicit here, but I assume implicit is that this violating of Shabbat is only going to be if we're making the month a uh, 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 29-day month. We're making it, we're being the Kadesh Kodesh, right, as opposed to making it an Eber. Normally the phrase the Kadesh so means you do it, you make the previous month smaller and you do it on day 30 Rosh Kodesh as opposed to being the Aber Kodesh, making it pregnant, is a 30-day Rosh Kodesh and you make 30-day previous month and you make Rosh Kodesh on day 31. Because if that happened, if it was not seen on day 30, and day 31 is going to be Rosh Chodesh, why would you violate Shabbat? Obviously, day 31 is going to be Rosh Chodesh. Now, it does raise the issues that we saw before, right? If you remember the Gemara about, is there an idea of being, um, you know, of being the Kadesh to Chodesh of even on day 31, to the point that a mitzvah, you know, it's a mitzvah to do it still based on testimony, would that be enough, you know, and to do that even in order to violate Shabbat? But one does wonder if the same issues would take place, if it was pure, totally clear, and hundreds of people saw it would that be enough justification even on day 31 when there was no question that today was Rosh Chodesh and they were going to make today Rosh Chodesh anyway so would, or is it particularly that that mandate you know is on day 30 when it makes a difference whether you're going to do it today or tomorrow so I think that's not um, fully explicated here it did come up a little bit yet the other like two days ago about mitzvah l'kadesh apiha ri'iyah okay um, so the Gemara says like because again the phrase the writer quoted earlier that reminded me was and that was in the conversation of whether it was 29 and 30 days so the Gemara did recognize that the idea of doing it could be enough justification to violate Shabbat even if it was a uh, uh, even if it was a Malay but I guess my question is whether that would be even if it was like hundreds of people saw it would even that be enough of a justification if you knew that today was Rosh Chodesh regardless okay let's take a look now at the next Mishnah 
Abu Bino, now we're getting to who can testify. Abu Bino Shirosa Chodesh Yelchu. So even if a father and son saw, they can go. Why? You can't have relatives testify. Lo Shemit Starfim Zain Zen, not because they can combine together to testify. If one of them becomes invalidated, uh, maybe because he says the wrong thing and he doesn't get the exact details right, at least there'll be the second one, which makes total sense. If you're going to accept a hundred witnesses, you don't need all hundred, so you're having more people come than the bare minimum because some of them might not work out. So if that's true, the same is true of father and son to travel together. It's no different than ten people traveling together. You don't need all ten. So here too, you, you here too, maybe one of them won't work out and you'll use the other one. Yeah. One thing, like when we want to do Tish Lavana, you walk outside and sometimes you can see it and sometimes you can't. Right. Some neighborhood you can see it and other right. neighborhood you can't. You think if a whole village saw it, right. rather than a thousand people getting up and moving, they'd say, okay, you're going to see Shimon. Right. You know, I mean... Again, that's what I don't get. I, I, everybody, let's go. I agree with you. I agree with you. I don't, but you know, like I said, like if you have no limits, what happens? If it's totally clear, like, 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 like 100,000 people are going to go. Now, again, I don't know because, you know, when the moon is just, it's brand new, it's like very small. So maybe, maybe, but again, so what if it's small? If it's a clear night out and if every, and everybody sees it, like, yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't get the, I don't get it. Exactly. All right, moving on. So it sounds like this. Um, okay. Uh, so he doesn't deny the first line. That's obvious. If you'll take tons of people will go, a father and son should go. But he goes even further. A father and son and all relatives are kosher. We'll see why in the Gemara. I'm Reb Yossi. Ma'isa betuvya harofei. There's a story with Tuvia the doctor. Sarasa Chodesh Gerushalayim. He started in Jerusalem. Hu b'nova avdo m'shukhran. He and his son and his freed slave. And this was when there was still a Beis HaMikdash. So they went to the Beis HaMikdash to testify. The Kibu HaKohanim osov espino. The Kohanim accepted him and his son. Upaslu et avdo. They invalidated the slave. So presumably they ruled like Rebbe Shimon that relatives are good but they invalidated the freed slave. Now, why they had that hierarchy, it's not clear, but one does wonder if it has a little bit to do with the fact that they're Kohanim, so therefore, as Kohanim, they're particularly sensitive to the issues of, you know, hierarchy based on, um, based on, well, on status and lineage also, specifically about lineage. So they were less concerned about the fact that they were related and more concerned about the fact that this guy had been a slave, and they invalidated the slave. When they came to the Basin, which was like the, the rabbis, again, interesting how like the Kohanim, it's presumably happening in the base of Mikdash or in Yerushalayim, the Kohanim have the first say, but the rabbis have the final say. Again, that interesting question of who is, you know, through, through whose, whose lens do we understand who is running things at the time of the base of Mikdash. Um, based in Kiblo I'm sorry, Kiblo they accepted him and his slave, and invalidated his son. I mean, I guess they could have invalidated him, but the point is they wouldn't accept him and his son, their relatives. That didn't matter. Uh, I'm sorry, that did matter. They wouldn't accept them both, but they didn't care about the fact that this guy was a freed slave. Now he's a Jew. Lineage didn't matter. So I think it, yeah, even like embedded in this, already you see, you know, a little bit, I mean, there's a, to me, not a so subtle subtext here about the difference of the rabbinic approach and about the priestly approach. Right? For Kohanim, the whole kahuna status is the status of Av Ubino. That's the whole kuna status. Father bouncing out of the sun. That didn't bother them. What bothered them was this guy. He's a slave. 
Yeah, but now he's Jewish. Right. Now he's Jewish. So his slave status was with father. And the rabbis, they weren't impressed with lineage and with father and son. For them, it was, you know, more this sort of egalitarianism. Or not exactly that, but anyway, it was certainly not the same degree of hierarchy that comes from a kahuna type of an approach. And, you know, relatives is a problem, and this and being a free slave is not. David, you had a question? Yeah, when a group came to testify, after the, the uh, court heard two correct witnesses, is that it? And they thank by the move? Yeah, well, we'll see about that. Okay. All, so we're, this, is, uh, this is all we're going to be dealing with in the next few days. Okay. I'm Rebbe I'm, I'm Rebbe Levy. My time is Rebbe Shimon. What's the reason of Rebbe Shimon? That says that, witness, that relatives can be witnesses. We never heard that before. The verse says, So that's where we get the idea, A, that we start counting from Nisan, and B, the idea that there's a mitzvah to sanctify sanctify the month based on the new moon. So it says, Lachem, you, Moshe Aaron, you could be witnesses together for the new moon. So brothers can be witnesses. So relatives can be witnesses. Rabbanan, what do the rabbis say back? No. No, it means that this is your responsibility, you, the leaders of the generation. You know, it's not something that gets done automatically. It's something, as we know, that we have said and we'll say before, you know, ultimately the calendar is fixed by the uh, religious leaders um, and we play a role in, in accepting the witnesses and in determining how the calendar will be fixed. Or we not only play a role, we actually make up the, you know, you know we do, the, we make those decisions. So that's what it means, but not that brothers can be witnesses. Now, the idea, besides saying that it's a pasuk that brothers can be witnesses, you know, one of the ideas behind this is that what does it mean to testify to sort of static facts as opposed to testify to events. Like, you know, um, we sort of have, you know, in like American courts, I think they have something called like, like expert witnesses, right? So it's like conceptually it's a different category. Like, yes, I looked at the blood, I did the matching of the DNA, da 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 That's like called an expert witness. But that's like a, cate- a different category than I saw the guy take out the gun and shoot him, right? Which is like a, an eyewitness to the events. So what? No? Um, so if I come how long I condition, you know, I guess that's true I guess that's a good point if I came along and I said not an event but I said like yeah I was passing by there and I saw some blood on the scene it wasn't an event it's just a a static fact that also would be the same type of a witness. That would be an extra witness. But to just testify to a static fact would be the same type of a witness. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, But anyway, so but one does wonder here if that, you know, um, I'm trying to think in halacha, right, if somebody were just to come and say, you know, mostly testimony you have is about this person, you know, did this type of a violation, this type of an act. But, um, yeah, well, that's normally because we need to direct. That's, but, but that I'm, I'm wondering if that's based on the concept of what testimony is about, or that's based on the concept that we, we that we tend not to interpret facts. Yeah. I mean, we're always interpreting women, but we tend to actually we tend to actually sort of you know like not make judgments based on circumstantial evidence. So if we're not making decisions based on circumstantial evidence, you're always going to need direct testimony. But that, that might not be so much as conceptually that witness that testimony. What I'm trying to get at is is that you know to what degree is the testifying on the new moon classic testimony if it's just testifying on like I saw a fact rather than I saw somebody do something like an event because um, that is rarer in halacha. But the reason it might be rarer might be because like I'm saying because normally we don't make din based on circumstances. We need direct evidence. 
Yeah. So another way I heard this once from Rav Lichtenstein was, uh, Rav Aaron Lichtenstein was, I think it's more, le- less than a question of events versus facts as opposed to the Pesach says, ki yakum edechad be'ich. If, per- if a witness rises up against a person, but to what degree classic testimony is understood to be testifying against someone. So as opposed to this, where you're not testifying against someone, maybe it's not in the classic category of testimony. So it is interesting, this idea that it might be something that you don't have the normal rules of who's kosher and who's, and who's invalid, that you can actually validate relatives. What did you want to say, though? Well, down from where you're talking, it's more it's closer to the concept of mumchi, like mumchi. Mm-hmm. Like, like we show it the mumchi, we have that language, like in other places. Yeah. So it sounds like they're functioning more that way. Uh, yeah, but I, but I but I but I retract it. They're not really they're not really it's not really about experts, but it is really more about like just saying a state of affairs. We saw a moon rather than we saw an event. But again, why that should put them in exactly a different category? Like I said, Rav Lipsenstein once said the idea that it has to be t- classic testimony is to testify against somebody. Um, you know, I guess in a way it also raises the whole issue about Eidechad Neman Bisurin, right? If you sort of say that this is like uh, this piece of meat is kosher or trade for whatever, you know, that's, that's not classic testimony. There you allow one witness, you allow women, you know, etc. So it's also like more of like of a state of affairs or it's not, certainly not against a person like to testify about, you know, to, uh, that somebody else is sort of being the target of the, of the testimony. All right, so that's the idea here that it's possible that you can have even relatives. I'm Reb Yossi. He says Reb Yossi. So the story here of the Tuvia, the doctor and his son and the slave, freed slave. I'm Reb Hanan Bar Rabba. Reb Shimon. We really like Reb Shimon that relatives can be witnesses for Edith HaKodesh. One minute. Reb Yossi says they can't. And he gave a story where they were rejected, the father and the son. Reb Yossi, and you're ruling like Rabbi Shimon that says relatives can be witnesses for Kiddush HaKodesh? Armelos, who then the response back was, well, why, why shouldn't I be able to say that? Many times I said in the presence of Rav, that we rule like Reb Shimon in this Mishnah, um, and he didn't respond anything to me. So, clearly, I'm right. So he said back to him, one minute. How did you teach it according to, in front of Rav? Who did you, what did you say Rabbi Shimon say, and what did you say Rabbi Yossi said? So, so he said to him the reverse of what we have in our mission. <laughs> so yeah, I said Allah is like Rabbi Shimon, because I said Rabbi Shimon was the one who disqualified relatives. So that's why he contradict you, because you were telling him that, we, that Rabbi Shimon said it's invalid and it's fine, then it's okay to rule like Rabbi Shimon. So Amar Tevi, Braid of Mari, Subtevi, the son of, uh, uh, of, um, uh, uh, um, Amar Braid the Mari Tevi, Amar Marukva, Amar Shmuel. So now, what, so, so here we have this whole lineage saying in the name of Shmuel, Hilchasa to Rebbe Shimon. We rule like Rebbe Shimon. Now, the question is, which version of Rebbe Shimon? So Rebbe Shimon says it's valid, or the Rebbe Shimon says it's invalid? And if you'll notice at the side, there's somebody, some people sneak in one word here. Ain Hilchasa to Rebbe Shimon. Now, that seems to be clearly a later gloss, because it wouldn't say ain, it would say lace. 
Um, but anyway, so it's quite interesting. So in the end, how did we end up? What did the Gemara say? And anyway, which version of the of the positions did they have? The general assumption is that Eidus Achodesh is not valid, uh, is not valid with relatives. But the uh, final decision, and certainly that's the push of the Gemara. You know, the story validated the idea that you would not accept relatives. But the uh, but the final conclusion remains murky. Let's just finish till the end here of the of the parak, and I'll take some questions. So. The following are invalid. Hamasachik, Bekuvio, Malvi, Beribis, this is a famous mission from Sanhedrin. People who play dice and lend money and interest. Mafricha Yonim, who raise pigeons. The Sochei Shvias, and do business with Shvias produce, make business off of it when you're not supposed to profit. The Avadim, and slaves. Um, and women goes without saying, as we're going to see. Zechlal, this is the rule. Call Edish any Ishak Sherala, any testimony that a witness is not kosher, a woman is not kosher for Afhain ain't Shimla, even they are not kosher. Which, by the way, Tesla points out, part of the point here is that even according to Rabbi Shimon, or whoever it was, that said relatives are kosher, relatives are kosher, because they're the, each person individually is a kosher witness. The only problem is they're coming together. So that's okay. But these people that are individually invalid, either because of sin or because of a slave or because of a woman, it's as even taken singly, they're invalid. They remain. Everybody agrees that they remain invalid for kiddush hakodesh. Now, what does it mean, Eina Isha Which testimony is a woman kasha for? So the testimony a woman is kasha for is to testify that a woman's husband died. Okay, that we know at the end of Yavamot. Also something actually relating to Sota, which is this week's Parsha, but primarily to testify that a woman's husband died, that a woman can't testify for, that the rabbis gave a lot of latitude, they even allowed hearsay testimony, aid me aid. So for that as well, these types of people would be kosher for that, but not for something that is a classic formal testimony that women are invalid, then everybody here is invalid as well. What does the Gemara say about this? So in cases where women would be good, these would all be good as well. So that's Amar Vashi. So says Ravashi, Zosomeris, this teaches you, Goslin to Devraim, that a rabbinic Goslin, because that's what these people, most of these people in this category are concerned, are considered, I'll unpack that in a minute. Ksherim la'edis isha, are kosher for testimony, for testimony that a, um, to allow a woman to get remarried. So that's the classic example of testimony that a woman can testify about, is edus isha, meaning the isha here does not mean the testifier, but means the object of the testimony, to testify about a woman that she can remarry. But those, that testimony that a woman's husband has died, uh, you allow a woman and therefore to testify and you allow, as I said, hearsay and you allow all of these people as long as you are not a biblical goslin, as long as you're only a rabbinic goslin. Now, what does that mean that everybody here is only a rabbinic goslin? First of all, the first thing you have to appreciate is that the two categories of why people are invalid to testify. One is because of the type of sin, the severity of the sin, which is called a you know, a chayve um, malkos, um, uh, based on the passage in bin hakot harasha, if the wicked person is deserving of lashes. So we see that somebody deserving of lashes is considered a rasha. And the passage says, al-tashas rasha aid, a rasha can't testify. So therefore, any sin that's deserving of lashes invalidates the person, even if it's not really relevant to the testimony. So what if, I don't know, this guy, you know, ate on Yom Kippur? What does it have to do with trusting him about something else? Um, but nevertheless, that makes him by status a Russian invalidate him. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about in bin hakot ha-rasha. We're talking about another, another concept which is called Russia de Hamas. Somebody who's a Russia because of uh, monetary sin, which is based on the Pasuk of Atashas Yadcha'im Rasha Liyot Eid Hamas. 
And there, the concern is not about the severity of the sin so much as about the fact that he can be bought. He's got a price. He's willing to sin because of monetary gain. And therefore, his testimony is considered to be up for sale, and therefore you cannot trust it. That's the focus of this Mishnah. So, this Mishnah, though, says that the people listed here are considered Goslin to defrahim. It's only rabbinic. Why is it only rabbinic? Some of this sounds biblical. Well, okay. The guy that's racing pigeons and playing dice, that may be like, it's a little shady, and you're maybe taking money that you didn't really earn, and the Gemara has all these questions about Asmach Kanya. Is the bet that you made really legally binding or not? And if it's not really legally binding, then the guy's paying you money he didn't really owe you. Okay, but that's still, you understand, it's not out-and-out theft. You know, it's not an out-and-out type of a, of a biblical violation. Um, but how about something like lending money with interest, right? Or doing business with a pair of shvias. That seems to be a biblical issue. So Tosas tries to explain it in two ways and Rashi in a third. The two ways Tosas explains it is either that we're talking about certain types of interest and certain types of business with pair of that are only rabbinic violations. There are those. There are those of different categories. Or that a person um, doesn't really like rationalizes and doesn't really know that the things that they're doing is really a biblical violation. And if they're themselves not aware that what they're doing is a biblical violation, then, you know, look, I can rationalize, yeah, what I'm doing, it wasn't so bad or whatever, which means that if I really, if there's something that I really wouldn't be able to rationalize and really would understand was a really bad violation, I wouldn't do it. So it doesn't make me a clear, clearly prepared to violate regardless. That's how Tosis explains it. So not really that it's rabbinic, but maybe like I think it's rabbinic. I like, I downplay the severity. I'm able to just to rationalize in my head why it's not an out-and-out violation. Um, Rashi says a little bit differently. Rashi says that the issue here is, is that even if, and this is important, it is a biblical violation, it's still not out-and-out theft. Meaning, it's not like I stole money from you, right? You know, it's like, oh, you know, if I see a Coke lying around, I don't know whose it is. Okay, it's a Coke. Whatever does it make? I'm sure, you know, I take it. Whatever. Technically, maybe that's also the rationalizing part. But the point for Rocky is that if I'm really doing, if I'm not actually going and stealing something from you, then it's not for people's, in their mindset, how bad it is. It's not just a question, is it biblical, is it rabbinic? It's like, you know, the nature of the whole interaction. And therefore, since these things are not out and out theft, that doesn't mean that I would be prepared to do things, you know, that are like, you know, that like really like put my testimony up for sale. Only if I'm really going to go and do out and out theft will, it, you know, will, will, will my, that undermine the trustworthiness of my testimony. So these are these gray categories, and therefore you cannot accept them for a standard testimony, but you can accept them for testifying that a woman's husband has died. The only case that you can't accept testimony for a woman's husband has died is somebody who's like an out and out goslin. That type of person is testimonies up for sale and you can't trust them, you know, even in something that the rabbis gave you a lot of latitude for. Yes? So, there's two things. At the end of the last figure, it just is striking in terms of the editing of the Gemara that like Tavi Barre Jamar Tavi first of all you had Tuvia Harope and also you had that Tevi the Eved and you have to have that same exactly that's so a good point I was thinking about Tevi the Eved but I didn't I wasn't also thinking about you're right it's Tuvia Harope there's a lot of Tevis going on there that's a good point and in terms of women's being possibly aged so is it that they fall into they're assumed to fall into one of these two categories in the paradigm or there's a possibility there's a third reason why they're possibly aged like intrinsically um, like women are presumed to be 
viable person, you know, like they, they fall into the paradigm of Rosh the Hamas? No, 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 no. Women are invalid just because it says um, um, anashim, anashim below so, anashim. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. It's true. It's like it's like it's 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 not such a pleasant uh, grouping, you know, because right. and slaves and women. Right. right. But uh, and for, they're for different reasons. But it's funny how like the women issue is the determinant of the whole category. Right, let's finish this up. Misha Rasa Chodesh for any Lahaloch. Leleich? When we say leleich, anyway, lehaleich. Yeah, it sounds funny. Anyway, lehaleich. Malich, malich So somebody saw, and again, it's Shabbos, and they can't walk. So you put them on a donkey. Again, you can violate Shabbos if necessary. I feel a Even if he has to put his bed on the donkey, you know, to keep him uh, to keep him uh, healthy or whatever, you know, he can't manage a normal trip sitting straight up. So in uh, if people are laying in wait to waylay them, they can take weapons, sticks. And it was a long journey. They could take food. So they can do whatever they need, even though it's all on Shabbos and they're doing this. If you can get there through the night and the next day before, right, because if you get there a day late, it's not going to do any good. You've got to get there the same day that it's Rosh Chodesh in order for you to be able, your testimony to be effective. But if, you can, if it's within a night and a day's journey, so you can get there before the following nightfall, you can violate Shabbat. The Yotim lay this a chodesh and go to testify in the new moon. Shneamar elamar der shemashit kulatam b'moadam. These are the holidays of God that you will declare them in their right time. So b'moadam even on Shabbat. Now the issue hadun alach arba rashi shadim. So that's the end of that. And of course we continue without any break. Not just because it's the daf, but because the next mission just continues exactly the previous. So it's very funny sometimes where the prokim are divided. Okay, but we are going to see in the next mission what this idea would be that there are people waiting to waylay them. Why would you waylay somebody? I mean. It's Shabbos, they won't necessarily have money on them. Maybe you want to get their horses. But um, we're going to see that one of the reasons will be because of the sectarians that try to interfere with the normal process of Kiddush HaChodesh. So let's take a look now at the next condition. In Eina Makirinoso, let's say the basin doesn't recognize who these witnesses are. So, and maybe these witnesses, as we're going to see, are sectarians who are trying to make trouble. So what will they do? The town that he is being sent from, will, they'll send another person along with him that Basin does recognize, and that person can give like a, not character reference, not, you know, whatever, can testify like, yes, you know me, you know I'm trustworthy, I'm telling you that he's a good guy too, he's trustworthy. He's not one of those sectarians that's coming to mess everything up. And now we're going to give you a little context. Historical context, yeah. But we've shown that, well, it's a little different, but okay. Uh, but, um, anyway, close enough. But we've shown that how you Originally, who, what did they care if they knew somebody? Anybody who walked in their doors, they'd accept the testimony of the new moon. Which is quite interesting. Often we have Tzedukim, Baisusim to be the ones in particular, well, specifically identified as the, as the Baitsusim, as the particular sect that is behind it, is interesting. Anyway, when the Baitsusim uh, ruined things, um, they started interfering. Um, they would only accept testimony from people they recognized or from people that they recognized who could vow, who could, you know, speak on behalf of um, somebody else. And the reason is, as, you know, very interesting, we're coming up to Shavuot, it's all about Shavuot. You start counting the 50 days, from the day after Pesach, or from the day after the Shabbat, after Pesach, and... Um, 
since the Baitusim wanted the calendar to be based on 50 days from Sunday, not 50 days from the 16th of Nisan, they would try to manipulate the calendar so that it would work out, so that the calendar that the rabbis were setting would actually work for them. Now, it's a little interesting because, you know, some things we know about, like, the uh, Jubilee, the people that wrote the Book of Jubilees and the other people that did these, uh, that have these various sects, they didn't deal with the rabbinic calendar. They just made their own calendar. But presumably, right, so okay, you guys do this, we're doing something else. But presumably there were these Baisusim who wanted actually to, be, you know, have everybody's calendar work with theirs. Maybe they didn't want to be so sectarian. They wanted to just force it that everybody was doing their understanding of how it should be. So they tried to get testimony to be, so it would work out that Pesach would be on Shabbat. And if Pesach would be on Shabbat, then the calendars would coincide. And the day after Pesach would also be the day after Shabbat. They tried to manipulate it, and therefore the rabbis wanted to make sure they were only getting testimony from people that they could trust. Yes. This indicates a certain lack of confidence in the Rishon Hashira. Right? Like, what did they ask them all the questions for about the movie? Right. If they, if, you know, it, they thought they could be cool. Be cool. But, you know, if, you, if somebody knows astronomy well enough, you prep somebody well enough, Right, right, it's true. I mean, the, is the Dushar Chatira to make sure that you're not intentionally lying, or is the Dushar Chatira to make sure you're not mistaken? Right. So, you know, I assume it was more to make sure you're not mistaken, but, right. Well, so let's take a look. The third thing it could also be, remember, they wanted to manipulate it, right? They said intimidate them. Right. So it, it could be to try to, are you sure it's this? And then you start asking all these questions, but, oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, right, it's a way, it's a way of, right, of, 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 if you don't want to hear what they have to say. Right. Okay. So the Gemara says, my Acher, what does it mean they send somebody else to test it, to, to be a character witness? Chag, only one other person. So the Gemara says, is when can you trust one person? Um, now, of course, they're making up the rules here. You know, they're deciding they need character witnesses. So although normally you need two, maybe they would be happy with one. But let's take a reason why it seems like two would, why one would not be enough. Now, Tadami taught him Brysa. There's a story where a certain person came with his witnesses to testify about him. So you, you needed two witnesses. So how come would this suggest like you only need one witness? So Amr Papa, my echad zug echad, so acher, excuse me, what does it mean? Zug acher. It means you send another pair, not one person. You need two people to testify. Hachadam Mustavi, you know what? That makes sense. Ilote Mahaki, in Enamakim Oso, it says if they don't recognize him, they have to send somebody else to, to, to validate, you know, for him. Um, to, um, so, um, so, my Oso, what does it mean if they don't recognize him? Ilay Oso Chad, they don't, it's one guy they're sending and the basin doesn't recognize him. One guy wouldn't be enough. It says, you know, the testimony of the new moon is like a normal court case. You need two witnesses. So when it says the, the town is sending him, it doesn't mean they're only sending one guy. It means they're sending a pair. So the singular refers to a pair. So when it says they send another to testify on his behalf, what does another mean? Zugacher means another pair. Now that's a pretty bad proof, as Joseph says, because since when can the town not send one person? We just learned before, you know, you send thousands of people are going, you don't know who's going to work out. Or maybe because it says maybe the town is sending a pair, and of that pair there's one guy that isn't recognized, you know? So, but actually then, no, the other guy probably has one. Anyway, the point is, it's not so clear why we have to assume that the town is sending two. But there's, that's what the Gemara said. Presumably the town is sending two, so it so means the pair. So when it says they sent someone else to testify, it doesn't mean a single person is, is being the character witness. It means two people are being the character witness. Again, a pretty forced read in the Mishnah. The Mishnah sounds like one is enough. 
Let's yeah, keep on going. Yes. The one is is a character witness. Right. Right. Yeah. He's testifying to the to the Correct. Rule, just to the character. Right. Re- right. So that's why the Gemara the Gemara yeah. the idea that you need two character witnesses is not based on the pasuk. The idea that, uh, that normal agent means two, because this is a bit of a binic requirement. You would think, and that's what the mission seems to say, but since the Gemara has a Brisa that has, says two witnesses, so it wants to get the Mishnah to work with the Brisa. So to get the Mishnah to work with the Brisa, it reinterprets the Mishnah to say two character witnesses. But I agree with you, and it seems to definitely be a forced read of the Mishnah. And the Gemara's not done. Let's take a look. The Gemara says, the Chad Lo Mehenin, are you telling me that one is not believed as a character witness? The Chad Tan, you tell the Brisa, he went to testify to be a character witness for a particular witness. So, now look at this, this is important. Not only can the witness violate Shabbat, the character witness can violate Shabbat, obviously. Because if the witness won't be accepted, then he's not doing any good. So this is the same way you can send a donkey and provisions you can send a character witness. That's what you need in order to get this guy to testify. <laughs> so, so Rav Nurai went on Shabbat to be a character witness for another witness. So, you see, it's only one guy. Only one character witness. Not two. So, Gemar says, no. Ami, you can say, Rav Nurai wasn't alone. There was another guy with him. There were two character witnesses. But, why didn't it mention the other guy? Why did it only mention Rav Nurai? He just wanted to Rav Nurai. Because who cares about the other guy? Because Judge Shemar, we're not going to mention him. The Chidikin, even Rav Nurai, even Rav Nurai would violate Shabbat just to be a character witness, okay? So we want to underscore that. Yeah, but there were two character witnesses. Fuck. So again, the simple sense of the Mishnah, the simple sense of this Raita, is that one character witness, but the Gemara is reading it to say two characters. The whole point is you need two The whole point is that Joe Schmo is the important guy, he's the second guy. Right. Okay, but even Rav Narai would be oh, violating Shabbat. It's one thing that Joe Schmo would violate Shabbat. Okay, Ravashi Yama, Ravashi said, Rav Narai said, So as Rav Narai said, No, 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 first of all, the, the whole story is wrong. Rav Narai was, now that somebody else went with him, there was another witness already there right. in Usha. Right. So the other guy didn't have to violate Shabbat. The only person that had to violate Shabbat was Rav Narai. Yes, you needed two character witnesses, or you could read, mean you read this Gemara that they were both the actual witnesses. Yeah, sure. but, but anyway, yes, you needed two either way, but only one of them, only Rav Norai had to violate Shabbat. So the Gemara says, Now the Gemara says, So what's the whole Chiddush of all of this? I might have thought that out of a doubt, because Rashi says, Look, if I go with another witness, if, if either only I alone am needed, or I'm going together with the only witness, so we know that we're both going to be there, we're both going to be doing our job. But if I'm going, and I need another guy, and I don't even know if the other guy's around, like I'm assuming that the other character witness is in the town, but for all I know, he's left to the country for Shabbat. So maybe that's not a good enough reason for me to violate Shabbat. Kamash Malan, that I should do it anyway. Now, of course, you could say that's true about a lot of these cases, right? A hundred people saw, and I'm going to go, they might not need me. But there, I definitely saw, and my testimony definitely could be, like, accepted. Here, maybe you'll figure, look, A, I didn't see, I'm only a character witness. B, I might not be a good enough character witness if the other guy isn't there. And nevertheless, even though Rev. Narai went alone, even that, Rev. Narai went alone because he he was relying on the other guy being there. Okay, so that's how we're reading the case, but the upset of all of this is, is that against the simple read of the Mishnah, we're asserting that you need two character witnesses. Okay. 
Remember we had this before? Might, this might even be the same case. Ula comes from Eretz Yisrael and tells us all, oh, they, uh, you know, they sanctified the new moon in Eretz Yisrael. So, Amar Kahana, now, again, this is not like he, he's telling us all we're celebrating Yom Kippur on the wrong day. Yom Kippur, right. right. He's just whatever he's telling us. He's telling us when they sanctified the new moon in Eretz Yisrael. So can we trust uh, somebody who just comes and testifies what happened in Eretz Yisrael? What do you need to trust now, not the witness, in a way, to trust the shaliach, as it were, to trust the person that's delivering the report of what happened in Eretz Yisrael? So, Arav Kahana, Lomi Ba'ya'ula, goes without saying that we can trust Ula, the Gavar Rabbahu, he's a great person, right? Big rabbi, very obviously we can trust him, the Behemin, of course we can trust him. Even the normal, here's Joe Schmo again. Here's the normal Joe Schmo we would trust. Now, this is in contrast to the witness. Who can we trust as a witness? That has to be somebody that we know. Somebody we can trust. Who can we trust as a reporter of what happens? That we can trust anyone. Why? I mean, if people want to interfere, they can interfere whether at the testimony end or at the reporting end. No, here's why it's different. My timer. Anything that's a lie will be revealed. People don't lie. You know, I don't know, you know, nowadays with the blogosphere and whatever, <laughs> you can spread a lot of things that ultimately aren't true and you can change a lot of impressions. Okay, but anyway, um, nevertheless, the Gemara says that we're going to have higher standards. We're going to need to know who's saying it in terms of accepting the testimony. In terms of can we believe a report if we're in the Gola, that we will believe anyone because eventually the word will get out regardless. It's just about okay? What? It's like talking about Migolash. Right. Tanya Nabi Hashem, we talk similarly. So we will trust anyone to say what happened because that will be, that will be ultimately, that will become, that will become well known. We won't necessarily trust people to testify on the new moon unless we know who they are. Okay, now we have to have the story about the Baisusim, a very uh, humorous Gemara coming down. Okay, originally they used to accept it from anyone. So it says, until the Baisusim started interfering. So, Tani Rabbanim, that we taught in a Baisusim, what did they do to, to make things, to ruin things? Once they wanted to, to um, you know, to um, make the rabbis err, uh, to deceive the rabbis, in terms of when was Rosh Kodesh. They hired two people with 400 zuz to give, bad, to give false testimony on when they saw the new moon. One of them was actually a, a rabbinic Jew. They didn't know it, but he was one of us. He was, you know, he's on our team. The Echad Mishalahem. And one of them was from there, but they didn't realize that the first day they hired this was undercover. I don't know if he was undercover. It doesn't sound like he was undercover. It sounds like it happened to be his sympathies were with the rabbis. Okay, let's take a look. Shalahem hei dusa So their man came, gave his testimony, passed muster, left. Shalahu, our guy, uh, we didn't realize he was our guy. Guy walked in. And so Amrullah, so they said to him, and more cases of Re'ita Tell us how you saw the new moon. Amalam, he said to the people, sort of, you know, there cross-examining him, I was going up in Malay Adumim, I saw the moon, it was crouching between two rocks, the head looked like a calf, the ears looked like a goat, Karnav Domus would see the horns of the of the moon looked like a looked like a deer. With Navomunagos Lobain Yarkosav, its tail was between its thighs. 
and I peered closely at it, near Tati, and I was, I was like, I was like uh, astounded, you know, I was, um, yeah, I, I trembled, right, I, I recoiled, and I fell backwards, and if you don't believe this uh, fabulous story that I've just told you, look, here's 200 zoos that I have in my pocket that, I'm, uh, that, they, that I was paid to tell you the story. <laughs> so of course you believe it. So Amrolo, so they said to him, me, he's Kika who I got you to do this. So Amrolahem, he said to them, Shamati Shabdi, or, or like, what made you play along, maybe is more what they're asking. So Amrolahem, he said to them, Shamati Shabdi, 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 I heard that the Baisusim, I heard that they would have this plot, and they were trying to, uh, you know, to deceive you. Amrolahem, and I said to myself, let me go, seem to be complicit in this, and I'll let the rabbis know what's up. Because somebody else will come that really will buy into their whole plot. The Yidro Kachanim will deceive you. So Amulah. So they said to him, "Masayin zuz niutunim luchav b'matana. Keep the two hundred zuz. Thank you very much." And the guy that hired you, we're going to put him on the you know on the uh, pole, and we're going to give him the lashes. From that time on, they said, we better know who it is. <laughs> you got to like wonder. It's like, that's so hilarious. He tells this Serpico story. What? This Serpico story. Right, what's Serpico? He's the undercover agent in the New York City Police. Oh, okay. Anyway, but you got to wonder like why he told such a fabulous story. Like what, you know, what the symbolism of all. I didn't have a chance to check. I'm sure the most shocked says something interesting about the symbolism of all of that. Is this okay. the language, by the way, of the, of the corporal punishment? Um, yes, yes, yes. Cause, yeah, because yeah, somebody would be like, you know, Stretch on a whipping pole. Like there would yeah. be a whipping pole yeah. or whatever. Yes, yeah, check now. Okay, let's just read the next Mishnah. Barishona um, originally, Hayumasin Masa'ot. They would, and to communicate when Bosh Chodesh would be, they would do it with bonfires. They would wave, you know, you know, from one mountaintop to another, you know, and then, you know, you can get a message across very, very quickly. If you have people on mountaintops, you know, you can travel hundreds of miles by just doing like a, you know, one, you know, you see one guy's fire and you light your fire and it's a daisy chain, you know, all the way for hundreds of miles. So that's how they used to communicate that it was Rosh Chodesh. Now here it's Kusim. Again, I didn't check the, uh, the manuscripts. If this also is by Kusim. Does somebody have Fontina? What is that? I mean, what, uh, what's his name? Steinbelt? What does Steinbelt have? He has Kusim here? Baisusim, yeah. I don't know why it would change here. The other one, it makes sense. It's the same Baisusim that are making the problems. Kusim, anyway, just had their own calendar. They weren't trying to influence the, rab- the rabbi's calendar. Okay, so Mishakilku or Baisusim, he finished you shluchim yotzim. Oh, he does have Kusim here. So that's strange. Like, why all of a sudden here is it the Kusim making problems rather than the Baisusim? Anyway, so, but this is also very interesting, right? As opposed to what we just said earlier in the Gemara, that you are more willing to believe people that communicate a message because it'll get figured out anyway. Here we're saying that what they, where they interfered was, was not in the testimony, but in the communication of the facts. 
Okay, of course, here it's better, because it's one thing you can come personally and testify, then you're putting your reputation on the line. And then you can say, if everybody's going to find out, then I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie. But if all you do is you start going to mountaintops and waving fires, it's anonymous. Nobody knows, you know, nobody knows that you're doing, doing it. What? So there, maybe you'll do it, and uh, even if it's, uh, the other facts will get revealed later on. Okay, so here there was a problem not only in the, what do you call it, not only in the, um, in the testimony, but in the communication of it. So they used to light fires, but then other people would interfere and light fires at the wrong time. So that finally led to sending out messengers. And with messengers, somebody's putting their reputation on the line. And, you know, you might actually know who the messenger is. As we saw in the early Gemara, maybe even if you don't know who the messenger is, but at least the person is putting his reputation on the line. How are they like the fires? They would take cedar poles, Aruchim, long poles, the cunning, the ase shemen, the nuruchapishan, and they would take all these various flammable materials of twigs and uh, uh, olive wood and flax, and the koyachim shicha, they would wrap it like into like, you know, some ball at the top with a rope. The olive shaha, they go to the top of the mountain, umatis behen at the oar, they'd light the fire, umoli humevi, umalimori, they go up and down and back and forth, so it said that that's in order that you shouldn't think it's like a shooting star or something, so those movements make it clear what it is. Um, until you see that the guy at the other mountain who's on the lookout is doing the same thing then you know that your message got across to the next mountain and then so on and so forth until it gets you know going mountaintop to mountaintop um, and similar to the third mountain and on and on where would they start this from? from from Mount Atlas um, let's start Tavla. That would go to start Tavla. Me start Tavla with Garufina. Me Garufina with Chavron. Me Chavron with Beit Balfin. Me Beit Balfin. Lo Zazmi Shan. So Beit Balfin would be at some end of this line, at this at this chain. And they didn't stop. El Moli Chumeni Mal Emorit. Ashurash Kol Agulil Sonav Kimidurat Eish. From there, the entire exile would like be lit up by a fire. All the other mountaintops and everybody would get the message, okay? So it was a beautiful system until people sort of broke into their communications line and then they had to go through a much slower process of sending out the message. They got hacked. Exactly, they got hacked. They got hacked. Okay.